Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. I'm frequently trying to come up with different things to say, as I've had the privilege to introduce Bob in a variety of ways in different settings, and I just can't come up with a better way to honor him and his family uh, than to say that I know that my life and Anna's life and our family together in God would not be who we are without their influence. Um, we just, we wouldn't. Um, God has placed them in a very special and unique place in our lives, in our journey, and the impact of that is tremendous, and we just realized that we would not be who we are today had not the Lord brought them into our lives and allowed us to be able to walk together the way that we have. Um, and so we, we love you guys, we honor you guys. You have no idea what a treat and a privilege it is for us to have you. Could you help me welcome Bob Gladstone tonight as he comes? Hey, thanks, guys. Praise God and good evening. So, you know what we're going to do? I think I'm going to start in our text in uh, Matthew chapter 4. So, if you have Bibles, Smartphones, iPads, things you want to read along with. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 12 in just a moment. Uh, maybe I didn't do this in the right order. Why don't we, um, maybe as you're doing that, let's just stand just for one quick stretch and a prayer. <clears throat> Beautiful ministry tonight. And Jason and the team. I kept thinking, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. There was such a sweet spirit of rest coming from the ministry of the Spirit and God's presence. Where God rules, there is Shalom. Wherever God is ruling by the kingship of Jesus Christ, we are restored, we enter into his rest. And so I'm very grateful for that. It really soothed my own heart. And I wasn't agitated. I was with the Lord, but I even went deeper in his rest. So it's a good thing. <clears throat> Abba, Father, we love you. We are so grateful and so honored to be counted among your children. For those of us who've put our faith in Jesus and received the gift of justification and the gift of the Spirit, we are now counted among your children throughout history and throughout the earth today. We're grateful. We thank you that we're gathered in a holy convocation as the children of God to enjoy your presence, to play as it were in the garden that we just sang about, to dance with you, to feel the presence of your spirit like a river moving through our hearts, to sense the camaraderie that we have with one another in the spirit, even those who don't know each other, Lord, we're brothers and sisters. For those that are not yet, our prayer with all of our heart is that their hearts would be captivated and that they would come into your great kingdom and into this great family. 
Now, Jesus, we fix our eyes on you. You're an amazing person. You are the Son of God and the Lord of all. But you're a good son to your Father. You're the perfect, eternal Son. And we look at you and we see you there at the Father's right hand in blazing glory. The burning man, the Son of Man who will come with the clouds. You are ruling and reigning. You are interceding. Oh, your beauty, it captures our hearts and we fall in love with you. And in fact, we dive in love with you again, Lord. We pray that somehow by the operation of your spirit in our heart and in our midst, that we will see you just a little more clearly tonight as we press in. And that the impression of your burning glory would melt into our hearts by grace. Lord, I'm asking for a deposit right now. A, a gift of God, a transaction right now as we pray. That the burning impression of Jesus by the Spirit and the Word would come upon our hearts. And that there would be therefore a deeper, a more accurate, a clearer impression on us. That we might also be conformed just a little more to your great image, Jesus. But we need your help, Lord. We gladly uh, magnify our weaknesses. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Without you, we are nothing, Lord. But in you, Lord, we bear much fruit. So we're asking for help, Lord. Dispense, we pray, just fresh deposits of your spirit to give grace so that we can indeed rise up and be the Jesus people. And that that would spread like wildfire in this region because you deserve such a people. Lord, it's what you died for. It's what you reigned for. Oh, our bridegroom, we love you. We love you. Jesus is king. He is Lord. He's alive from the dead. He's ascended on high. And in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> a month ago, the very moment that I thought about speaking at this this gathering. I mean, I was already invited, but when I, when I moved my mind in the direction, I thought about being among you <clears throat> and keeping it before the Lord and what I might speak on immediately, immediately, the words Jesus movement went like a ticker tape across my heart. And every single time I did, when I set my mind toward Milwaukee, Milwaukee region. Or is this Waukesha or are we in Pewaukee? We're in Pewaukee. Forgive me. Waukesha County. <clears throat> Forgive me. No offense, Waukesha people, that we're in Pewaukee or Pewaukee, that we're in Waukesha. Walk. Something about the walk. Milwaukee. Come on. Walking with the Lord. Did you know Bob is the same frontwards and backwards just like Natan? B O B. Give to Bobby, comes right back at you. I've... Random thoughts right now. Random. Random. Uh, so, yeah, so with the Milwaukee region, <laughs> there already is a Jesus movement afoot. The beginnings, there's a rumbling and a rising, but I feel like there's something special for this region. A uh, special message, I believe, not just what I'm speaking tonight, but something from the Spirit overall. 
There's something I believe over the years of faithful Christian ministry here, and I'm sure, you know, well back before I have any idea what was ever happening around here, but there was great prayer and warfare, faithful believers sharing the gospel, discipling one another. And I just believe God's going to be answering prayers and raising up a Jesus people in this region. Jesus movement, Jesus people. Yeah, uh, I was praying in my room before the meeting tonight, and my phone rang, uh, it, a text. Now, we're working on not being distracted, but I kept it on because Gina was out, and I wanted to make sure that I, I got any message. By the way, my wife, Gina, and my son, Evan, are with us also. Gina's over there in those shadows. Evan's in these shadows right here, but thank you. For, so anyway, um, yeah, and it was, a, it was a text from a friend who said something to the effect, if I could summarize, I just feel like we're in North Carolina because of the Jesus people vision, as I was praying about the Jesus people. Ding, Jesus people vision. He's like, he has no idea I'm praying about speaking about the Jesus people. Like, I love these little kisses from the Lord, because when I go somewhere, I beg God, Lord, don't. Don't just give me a message. Send me there with an assignment that I can fulfill. And yes, I do pray for a message. I don't want to fall on my face in front of people. But then again, maybe that will help. I don't know. <laughs> Paul told the Corinthians, I'm afraid my God will humiliate me in your presence. So, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> if it could happen to Paul, I mean... Um, yeah, and then Mikael grabbed me in the in the hall as we were exiting the restroom just a little while ago, and he puts his arm around me and just prays and pours this prayer into me. And he said something about, Lord, just raise up the Jesus people. And then he said, now, I don't know what he's speaking on tonight. And off he goes. I'm like, well, that. <laughs> Last night, Brickhouse mentioned it to Stephen when he was in, kind of introducing me the night before. So anyway, mouth of two or three witnesses. Do I still need to preach or is that enough? Did we reach our goal? Amen. <clears throat> so this area, it's, it just feels very um, sweet to me to be speaking about the Jesus people because this is my heart. It's, my, it's a vision God put on my heart in about 2000, the year 2000. And so, you know, our church planting efforts are all for the sake of giving the Lord a people who are conformed to his image. It's not about the organization or whether or not there's property. These things might help, they might not, but it's the people that are the issue. God can, God can do anything if he has a people who are yielded to him. God's will is to have a people conformed to the image of his son. Guys, that is God's will. That is his plan. The eternal plan is to rule the earth live and in person from Jerusalem through Jesus in conjunction with his people, his bride. One day on the day of the Lord. Come on now, when the day star rises in the morning, when, 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 when the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. And Jesus appears, the sign of the Son of Man. Right? On that day, 
God's kingdom, which is a spiritual and human reality here and now, will become a geopolitical reality. The one government will be King Jesus sitting in Jerusalem, ruling the earth in conjunction with his people. It will be a great and terrible day, just like the Hebrew day begins at night and then the dawn comes. That's the day. You know the day begins at night in the Hebrew mindset, right? There was, day, there was, there was evening and there was morning one day. So the day of the Lord will begin with darkness, but then a light will dawn in the sky, the sign of the Son of Man. On this side of that appearing, God's kingdom looks like a people that look like Jesus. That is the witness to his royalty. Fellow sons and daughters whose whole lives find meaning in just being like Jesus in character, love, wisdom, and power. And not just as individuals, but collectively, as churches. Paul called that entity the one new man, Jesus, the head of the body, the church. So our whole lives are invested in praying for and doing a little work in our sphere of influence to see people discipled and come into the actual image of Jesus. Not just playing church or going through the inheritance of traditions but actually seeing people being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. That's God's plan. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 1, that we proclaim him, speaking of Jesus. His message is ultimately that man. The gospel is Jesus in words. Come on. Jesus is the word. So ultimately, if we preach the gospel accurately in the anointing of the Spirit, Jesus is materializing in that proclamation. He is the word become flesh. Now we have these words in the Spirit. And so when they're spoken accurately in the power of the Holy Spirit and received the same way, Jesus is present as if he were appearing in the room. Paul said we proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we might present every person complete in Christ. Now there you have it. There's the stated goal of the Apostle Paul's ministry. We do what we do day and night. We work with our hands so we don't rob churches. We suffer constantly, hunger, cold, exposure, you name it. Also that the people who receive our gospel might do more than enter into the faith. They might grow, come on now, on that long obedience in the same direction. Becoming every day a little bit more like Jesus Christ. That's our goal. If you have a destiny in this ministry or that ministry, or you have a role in your city and your local congregation and you're expressing your gifts this or that way, that's all part of it. Praise God. Amen. But the ultimate eternal purpose of God is that every person in the kingdom bear striking uh, family resemblance to Jesus Christ. Like Jesus appearing to Saul on the, on the Damascus Road. I mean, that's a pretty impressive moment and encounter. And Jesus is like, okay, I appear to you. You're blind now. Sorry about that. No, he didn't say sorry. But I'm just adding a little humor 
uh, probably nonsensically. And uh, here, here's Jesus. He's like, Ananias will take care of the rest. Get up and go to Ananias. My people know what to do. My people know my heart. My people move with the spirit. My people are good sons and daughters of God like me. They'll know what to do. I'm in them. I'm with them. I love the Jesus people. I love the Jesus people. There's a Jesus movement rising up in the Milwaukee area. It's very, very precious to me because this theme is absolute. My, it's my blood. And my wife and I used to live in this region. It's very precious to us. We moved to Milwaukee many years ago, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, I think it was. <sighs> we moved here so I could go to Marquette University to finish my education. I was at uh, a school in Chicago, before that a school in Florida, before that schools in South Florida. Going back to nursery school, you probably don't need to know all of that. <clears throat> so we lived in Milwaukee we, we, we started in West Allis we, we lived in Milwaukee we were unable to get pregnant um, but the Lord healed us one day in our bungalow in Milwaukee the Lord visited us the first time I felt God's presence like that I'm like man oh man God is near I'm laying hands on my wife's belly I'm calling out to God and God comes near I didn't see him with my eyes, but it's like, man, I've never had this happen quite like this. So Shandai, after that, I mean, I prayed about everything I could think of. <laughs> and Lord, and this and that, and whoa, da, 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 da. and uh, you know, I just took advantage, you know, call on the Lord when he's near. <laughs> and I don't remember how long the prayer was, but it was long enough that I had forgotten what I started to pray about. <laughs> when I was done, I was like, whew, thank you, Lord. And Gina said, when you first touched me and prayed, something moved inside my stomach. And we conceived the next night. And we've had five kids since then, even when we were not necessarily planning it. I'm not saying we weren't. It's just... Go by what I say. But... Uh, yeah, the Lord was like, well, you asked. So. so it's a dear place to us. You know, we went up to Port Washington, Wisconsin, where we were youth pastors there. Jason's wife, Rachel, was in our youth group. That's how we first met Jason. Um, we stayed actually with her family. Our little family was there. So we had our first child in Milwaukee. In the downtown area at St. Joe's, we had our second child in Mequon at St. Mary's. <laughs> and then on a later visit, we led both of them to the Lord when they were just little gals. They wanted to give their hearts to Jesus in the, the Fisher's house. We led them to the Lord. That was uh, Rachel's family. So, yeah, and of course, our experience at uh, the church in Portview was very, very dear and special. Those were formative years I guess they're all formative, but uh, it's where we met the Hubings, Jeff and Carol, and they're here from Chicago, Nick Hubing. Nick Hubing and, and Rachel Fisher, now Upton at the time, were like the two stars of the youth group for us. Nick was a bit younger, 
Nick was younger, if I remember right, so Rachel was more of the, in the front runner, and when she went on to college, Nick rose up. Bless Nick's heart, he, he did what I asked him to do, man. I had him in skits. Remember, remember Super Christian? I wrote, wrote this lame thing and wrote the lines. Teach, okay, boy, I'm way going off now. Remember Super Christian, Nick? Smack in the ground, smack in the desk. I'm telling God on you. Anyway, that's all inside stuff. And God moved in our church there. God moved in a refreshing. God moved. I mean, I, uh, we visited Brownsville. We came back. God moved in our youth meeting in a way I never imagined he'd ever move in any youth meeting, let alone one of mine. It was fire. It was repentance. It was the last youth meeting I ever had there because the next day, I went on a missions trip to Russia with a couple of our kids from the youth group, meeting other groups from the area. And uh, we had a great missions trip. Yeah, that, that was crazy. But um, by the time I had come back, you know, I was an associate pastor for the youth. Our, our, our head, our, uh, what do you call it, senior pastor, Paul Hansen, he had been with us in Brownsville. You know, we all went together with uh, the Baders who were also on staff. And, God moved when they preached on Sunday morning. I wasn't there for Sunday, which God moved while I was absent. <laughs> Man, that just occurred to me. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, so God moved in our church. He had moved in the youth, but he moved in our church while I was gone. And when I came back, different church. I can't exaggerate. Completely upside down. Totally different. Worship, joy, intercession. It's like, when did the intercession team start? You hear them in the back room. When, since when is that? Open the door a little bit. They're all acting out prophetic parables. Interceding. I don't remember that <laughs> when I left. We're doing a sound check. I, okay, don't tell anybody this. I led worship. I, I, I can't sing. I would just mouth it. No. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You know, we get in there to do our sound check a half hour early or whatever it is, 45 minutes, an hour probably, and they're already gathering. They're all like, come on, come on. Judy Link is like, come on, just start now. Why do we have to wait? I'm like, we just have to do a few things here. We'll start when we're ready. <laughs> like, who are these people? I don't remember. This is a Wednesday night. You don't do this on a Wednesday night. This is for Sunday night. There they were. I mean, it just, and as, soon as, the, as soon as the music started, down the mountain, I mean, dancing and singing, and it was extraordinary. And I mean, these, the transformed lives. It wasn't just, it wasn't hype. I, I, I can't give you the testimonies, but I'm thinking of individual people who were transformed from, from night to day. And sometimes they brought their burdens to the Lord. They were still under them during this refreshing time. And we would pray and people were, were cut free and gloriously liberated into something so amazing. I mean, just I, I see their faces. I remember this. It's all spinning in my head. And 
then the Lord called us away from there to be at Brownsville for a season. And Anyway, this is a really sweet moment for us to be here. And most of you we do not know, but in light of everything I just told you, we feel connected to you. And I'm here to tell you now, these some odd 30 years or almost 30 years later, there's something more beautiful and more mature afoot in your region. And it's not just a refreshing, though we want that and we want revival. There is something decidedly and more pointedly biblical. Aslan is on the move. There is the rising of a Jesus people. I can prophesy that without blinking because A, it's biblical. I already quoted Colossians 1, Romans 8. You know this, these verses, right? God causes all things to work together for the good. For those who are the called, for those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. And the next verse, in whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He predestined whom he foreknew. To what did he predestine us? To be conformed to the image of his son. Do you hear that word predestination? You know, the primary impulse there is not first to say some are chosen and some are not. Or some other way of explaining it. Those debates are worthy. It's been raging through the centuries. But it's not the main point that Paul's driving toward. Is that our story was generally written already. Because our destination is to be like Jesus. The point is we joined a plan. That's already written. We're predestined to what does the text say? To be conformed to the image of his son. To be melted and melted and bent and bent and bent into the image of Jesus. Because he's worthy. He didn't just save us out of the garbage heap so he can give us, I got a golden ticket to heaven. He wants people who look like him. Who have fellowship with him in his sufferings. So they can attain also to the resurrection of the dead. He wants copycats. He wants people who follow him. He wants people who are forged in the fire. Who say, Lord, becoming like you is worth it. The betrayal hurts, but it's worth it. Because it drives me to you to learn that sweet release of forgiveness. That pressure, those things that, and, and I'm not saying God causes evil things. I'm not saying that, but man, when they happen... God causes all things to work together for the good. That's where Paul's going with that. It's like we resist the devil. We don't embrace him. We resist sickness and disease. We don't embrace that. But man, when we suffer in this life, it's like, Jesus, I'm on my, I'm on my knees right now. Make me more like you. This is, it's worth it. If the fire can melt me a little softer into that image so I could be like one of those grapes when you squeeze me under the pressure, it ain't sour what comes out. It's sweet. You crush me and other people get sweet juice because I'm becoming like Jesus. It's not hype you get in the moment. It takes time, processes, 
loyalty, courage, longevity. Come on now. It's the opposite of what our Western church culture vies for. The immediate fix. The encounter, the punch, and you know, one encounter with Jesus does everything. Actually, it's a whole lifetime of encounters. Including those that don't feel like encounters. Bending us into that image. That is God's will. It is his plan. It is his eternal purpose. That you and I, I did that backwards, you and I, no, I did it right. (laughs) Take that. Individually become like Jesus, and here's the tricky part. Collectively, we become like Jesus. Gina told us at lunch today, man, it's real easy to be holy when you're alone in prayer. She was right about that. I thought about that before. <laughs> By the way, that whole church-wide conforming to the image of Jesus, you can find that in Ephesians 4, just so you get your verses. I, cl- I quoted Colossians 1, Romans 8, Ephesians 4, and so I'm ready to move on here. It is a movement. <laughs> <sighs> that wasn't good. I still am batting about 700, though, right now. In the jokes department, I'm not talking about my own preaching. I guess I kind of am. <clears throat> the, the, the term Jesus people, I, I mean that generically. People who follow Jesus. That's not generic, it's Jesus specific. But my point is, it refers to, um, that phrase refers to a movement in the late 60s, early 70s where there was a wonderful revival among the flower children, the hippies. You know, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are too young. I mean, I was born at that time, so I was too little during that time. But, um, you know, I actually came to the Lord reading some of the Jesus people literature later. In my teens, I have friends, good friends, close friends, who were born again during the Jesus movement. And I've done a little bit of reading here and there about it. And... uh, yeah, there was a lot of, there was an outbreak of rebellion during that season. There was a great, you know, you know here and there, there was, of course, the, this, this, this hippie movement was making some points and challenging the system, but it became a real rebellion against authority, and there became a lot of experimentation in Eastern religions and massive amount of drug use and, and and, you know, free immorality, so to speak, you know, make love, not war, but it wasn't within God's confines. And all of this was happening among what they called the flower children. You know, the hippies were, were precursors to the hipsters from a, that was so 2017, whenever that was. But the hipsters existed also before the hippies. That's where the hippies came from. Anyway, who cares about that? But um, <laughs> the hippies at the time experienced this renewal a real Jesus movement. A lot of our Christian culture, even to this day, comes from that time in terms of music. I mean, the styles have changed, but the place of music often comes from those Jesus hippie days. There was a well-known Time magazine article, June 21, 1971, that put out an article on the Jesus people and that that famous picture of like a portrait of Jesus on the front there. 
<clears throat> I actually am not much for pictures of Jesus, but I have that one on the wall in my office because of what this whole thing means to my heart. But it was an extraordinary move of God as those rebels were getting saved. The article written by an unbeliever says this. I'm just going to read one quote from it. There's an uncommon morning freshness to this movement. I just love that. God bless those guys. Those Jesus people, the late 60s, early 70s, that someone would write this in a magazine about them. There's an uncommon morning freshness to this movement. There was a gut feeling that there was something alive and authentic there. That's, that's how I got saved at the church where I was brought by my mom and my dad. I hated that those, these people were so weird. I hated it. What is this? What is that? Who does that? You do it at concerts, but anyway, I didn't think of it that way. I knew what they had was real. I could not escape it. These people are saved, and I don't even know what that means, but they're different. I knew it, and I hated their weirdness, but I loved the life that made them different. And so eventually, within weeks, they won me over. Writing about those Jesus people, I, I get the feeling, I smell the fragrance, I taste it a bit of what this person's saying. There's an uncommon morning freshness to this movement, a buoyant atmosphere of hope and love along with the usual rebel zeal. We would say it differently, but okay, partner, you're an outsider. Their love seems more sincere than a slogan. Their love seems deeper than the fast-fading sentiments of the flower children. Man, now that's insightful in 1971. The flower children meant business. It was debauchery with a cause. And here's a writer for Time saying, the love of these Jesus people is deeper than the fast-fading sentiments of the flower children. Come on, Jesus people. Finally, goes on to say, and that was actually the climactic moment of the quote, so now it's a little bit downhill, but <laughs> what startles the outsider is the extraordinary sense of joy that they're able to communicate. Extraordinary joy. Love that's deeper than fast-fading sentiments. Love that seems more sincere than a slogan. An uncommon morning freshness to this movement. A buoyant atmosphere of hope and love. Man, those are the vibes of the spirit of the living God, resting upon a generation that had nowhere else to go and found refuge in King Jesus. <clears throat> Most of the time, according to what I've read and according to the Jesus people that I've talked to, most of the time I will read or hear that there was not sufficient discipleship and family, spiritual family, to integrate these folks and love them and develop them from their issues into people who were whole. And there are total exceptions to that. 
I've heard one uh, testimony of a, of a well-known preacher who was from the Jesus people. And he talked about how he immediately was assigned spiritual mentors and family, and they were discipled. And I know that that happened. And I thank God for every time it happened. But usually I hear that it, it did not happen. A good friend of mine in the city of Charlotte was born again right at this time. And he, 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 he's one of the leaders in our city, Scott. He's, becoming, he's, a, he's been a good friend for years. He's becoming a better friend. And um, he was telling me just the other day, he's like, I was born again. I was part of that Jesus people movement, and we did not have discipleship in the context of community. And it got weird. He, and, you know, now this brother, he's 70 years old. He doesn't look it. He's very vibrant. He's given himself to discipleship. We're going to make disciples in the context of community. And we've been connecting more because of our values are very, very similar. We were already friends, but um, we're getting to know one another better because we want to learn from the past. Well, another, another couple of quotes here, if you don't mind. Lou Engel recently said, um, we feel that we're moving into an era in American history like like the 70s, a new Jesus movement's going to take place. Amen. I'm quoting him because he said that. And I like it. I'm biased. One more quote while I'm quoting things. An old hymn from William Booth, founder of uh, Salvation Army. It just seems fitting. God of Elijah, hear our cry. Send the fire. To make us fit to live or die, send the fire, we pray. To burn up every trace of sin, to let the light and glory in. The revolution now begin. Send the fire today. Let me tell you something about the new Jesus people. Let me tell you something about the new Jesus movement. First of all, it's needed. Because frankly, Christianity should just be Jesus people. That should, that should be all it is. It's a massive tribe of people of every ethnic group, economic status, color, size, shape, nation, who are just conformed to the image of Jesus and on that process. That should just be what it is. But we have to be honest with ourselves that Christianity has taken turns away from that. We're on a long recovery process back. But many of our traditions militate against God's eternal purpose. And sometimes the very things we call church, the very things we try to do to make church militates against God's vision for church. And so we've erected our own things rather than just pouring ourselves out that people get whole by the miraculous operation of the Spirit with their eyes gazing on Jesus Christ. I want to be like Him. Paul says, I haven't arrived yet, but this is what I do. I press on. I want to know Him. Not just know Him in the encounter. Sean died. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and in fellowship with His suffering. Now, that's a man who's accepting Jesus as he is in himself, not as one, the way he wants him to be. You're the re resurrected one. I want that power. 
Are you the crucified one? Then I'm willing to suffer with you because that's who you are and I love you. Hello? I don't love my image of you, Lord. I love you. That's what the Lord says. He wants to reveal himself as he is in himself, not as we would have him to be. He complains, well, it's, you know, a holy complaint, Isaiah 29, the oracle against those who allowed tradition to cover up the reality of the vibrant religion they had under the old covenant, which is inferior, far inferior to the new. The Lord says, this people honors me with their lips. Their hearts are far from me. They replace my commandments with traditions, but I will deal again with this people marvelously, wonderfully marvelously. It's our time for the same thing. We can't make God do that. We just say, Father, do that. <laughs> Please deal with your people again in the West, the Western world, Lord, with everything that we've made of, of your movement. We pray that you will deal with us marvelously, wonderfully, marvelously. Do a work. We can't do this ourselves. We know we have the spirit, but there's just disconnections in many ways. Lord, visit us. Help us, connect us with you, with one another, and with ourselves in the Holy Spirit and in truth. Raise up a Jesus people your way, not ours. We are fragmented according to our ministry labels, brands, companies, denominations. Grant you there's wonderful people throughout it all. Praise God. Everywhere I go, I meet like the most amazing people I've ever met in that place. I'm overwhelmed by the goodness of God among his saints. It's the treasure Paul prayed his people would see with the eyes of their hearts in Ephesians 1. Pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you would know the hope of his calling and what, what is the wealth of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I see it, Lord. They're beautiful. David, Psalm 16. As for the saints who are in the earth... They are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Come on now. Praise God. Good for you guys. The Spirit of God's in you and on you. You shine. You look to him and you're radiant. You have Jesus. You have life. You have courage. You have resources in the Holy Spirit. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We can walk this earth victoriously even while we're suffering and see resurrection glory moment by moment by moment, and in that day, ultimate resurrection. God is good, and his people are awesome, but we have done a few things that are contrary to the pure, raw teaching of Scripture, and therefore we've compromised the eternal purpose of having a people who've committed themselves to that long road we fragmented over these various things as I've already mentioned it. Sometimes the way church does church actually insulates the people from community. But because we're doing church, we, there's a trick. We don't realize it's happening. Is a rose by a rose? Is a rose, is a, rose a rose by any other name? I don't know, but if it ain't a rose, don't call it that. Just because the name is on the sign, 
Can I tell you something real quick about the church? You know, Jesus rarely used the word. In the Greek New Testament, it would be ekklesia, translating usually from the, the, the Hebrew Bible, kahal, sometimes eda, and other words in the Greek would translate it too. Well, whatever, we get it in Greek, and Jesus did not utter the word, except for like three times. And the first time was Matthew 16. The other two times are right next to each other in Matthew 18, on the same general topic in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is training his disciples toward community. Yes, he did that. That's why we have Matthew 16. When Jesus says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, or some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Who do you say that I am? Interesting question. I need my people to know who I am before I tell them who they are. Who do you say I am? Peter steps forward. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus utters the word. You are Peter upon this rock. You know, my father is the one who revealed this to you, not flesh and blood. You are Peter upon this rock. Simon Barjona, you, you are Peter upon this rock. I will build my church. There it is. Now we got it. Now we can talk. See that? It's a precious word. Didn't Corey tell us that? How we draw the meaning out of words and we just throw them around? Church, church, church. Are you going to church? Let's meet at the church. Church, church. Too precious for Jesus even to mention. He would not even say the word. He would not make that confession over his people until they confessed, you are the king. You're not one of the prophets. You're the king. Ah, then you are the church. We think we can have a church if we build a building and start an organization. By, by Matthew 16 definition, you don't get the church until you have the kingdom. Where the kingdom is manifest, you have people conform to the image of Jesus. Where God rules, you have the true covenant people. We throw the label on everything and that moves or doesn't move or is incapable of moving. We call the church. We've divested holy language of its holy substance. And Jesus wouldn't even use the word until his people said, you're the king. You are the supreme ruler. You are the son of David. Now their understanding of what that meant was far more political at the moment, so there was a little rebuking going on in the latter part of that story, and then Jesus introduced them to a little thing called the cross right in the same story. But it's like, if I'm really the king, then let me rule you my way, not yours. That's the church. Those ruled by God his way, not our own. So we need a Jesus movement. Okay, do you dig what I'm saying now? <clears throat> we emphasize success that looks outward rather than transformation that starts from the innermost being. We need a Jesus movement. Jesus saw the fig tree from a distance. It was in leaf. So he walked up close and he saw there was no fruit. What looks healthy from a distance might not be bearing actually fruit. And we can't fake fruit. We can fake success. We can even have impact. Yes. 
But fruit, no. That comes out of character. That comes out of relationship. That comes out of authenticity. We replicate who we are. We can impact all day long, man. People, we, are, we, we exalt ministers on their ability to have an impact, having no idea if they can bear fruit. Because fruit is life to life. I, we need a Jesus movement. We need a Jesus movement. We need, J- Jesus is real, man. A little hippie speak for you there. <laughs> Jesus is so far out, man. He's actually, Jason told us, he's close. He's not, you don't have to go up and get him. He's real. He lamented in front of his disciples. He sweat like drops of blood, like he had an open wound. That was the, that was the amount of stress on his body. Drops hitting the ground, like he was bleeding. He's praying that way, sharing with his disciples, my soul is grieved to the point of death. Man, reality. Peter says, no, you won't go to the cross. He turns and says, get behind me, Satan. Man, that's not how to win friends and influence people. Your best friend, your your highest uh, ranking disciple kind of deal, Satan, get behind me. Ah, he may not want to volunteer after this. Jesus is not concerned about that. His first loyalty is to the Father. Talk about real. Talk about a man who didn't have to calculate what he said in case someone hears him the wrong way. And we're almost... We have a lot of image-based reality in, in ministry. Impact and picture without substance that can't be faked, that bears fruit. When people who you encounter them and you're like, okay, I don't know about these guys, they're a little bit weird, but there's a morning freshness. (laughs) There's a love that is not like it's deeper than the fast-fading sentiments of all the talkers and all all of their critics. Man, they were weird, but man, I felt better after I was with them. We need a Jesus movement. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We need to just forget about whatever else we think Christianity is and realize that it's about becoming developed as fully orbed, born-again people conformed to the image of Jesus. Let me tell you something else about that Jesus movement in light of that point. It will be highly inconvenient. Smith Wigglesworth talked about how God shaped his life, and he said, you're not going to get it in a singing meeting. Those were his words. He said, God has mowed me down a million times. Only melted gold is minted. We are going to need, I'll give you three things. <laughs> yes, I, I had you turn to Matthew 4.12, didn't I? I'm going to give you three things here. I quoted other scriptures, so this still should be a legitimate sermon. <laughs> I 
We're going to need a revelation of Jesus as he is in himself. I already said that, but let's just put it now in order. Okay. We need a revelation. It's not a one-timer. It's an ongoing. There's going to be highlights and there's going to be lowlights. But through it all, we, we should be asking God for the anointing on our hearts for which Paul asks in Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, also the brother prayed up here earlier, that our interior faculties are popped open to see Jesus as he is, not as we project him to be. We're going to need that. Because if we can't see the beauty in where he's taking us, then we're not going to make it. We're going to need him. We're going to need him as he is. We're going to need him in his resurrection glory, and there's going to be times he bears his arm, and there's going to be times that we're going to see him in his weakness, in his cruciform, and he's just going to be beckoning us to that. And we're going to have to learn laments from the Psalms. <clears throat> Second thing we're going to need is a restoration of the full gospel. That's actually very closely related to number one because Jesus doesn't tend to just appear at every meeting physically. He comes to us in the form of the gospel. It's called the word of the Lord in scripture. The word of the Lord, that phrase does not refer to prophetic utterance. It refers to the gospel. It refers to written scripture. It refers to sayings of Jesus. It refers to the authoritative canon of scripture in its entirety. We have to rediscover the Bible as it is in its raw honey form, not filtered. And in there is a full gospel of the eternal son. The Word become flesh, the Son of God and the Son of Miriam, a little virgin from Israel. God in the flesh, who lived in the northern regions of Israel. He ministered in the Galilee for the most part. He called Capernaum his hometown, though he was raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. <clears throat> he mesmerized crowds, then he would turn around and rebuke them. Who are you following? Luke 14. Many crowds were going along with him. It's like, you can't follow me unless you hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, life. <laughs> Rabbi, um, don't you want to talk about you know, like, the debates of other rabbis and give us your opinion? No, we're doing something different here. If you want to follow me, you come on my terms, not yours. That's what Jesus taught, among many other things during his days on earth. That led up to his death, then his resurrection, then his ascension, then the outpouring of the Spirit, then the return of the Lord. We need a restoration of the full gospel and all it implies for the constitution of the church. And thirdly, we're going to need a radical commitment to the process. Because this just ain't coming at one convocation service or even a series. It is a walk on a long obedience in the same direction. You ever heard that phrase? It comes from a philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, quoted then in a Christian book by Eugene Peterson. I'm going to quote from that in a minute. Well, let me do that right now. By the way, the philosopher was not a believer. He was a critic of Christianity, but every once in a while, the the sons of this age come up with little gems. Peterson, who named his book uh, after that, that statement from Nietzsche, 
he's, he's writing here in 1980. And Peterson says, there's a great market for religious or spiritual experience in our world. There's, but there's little enthusiasm for, for the patient acquisition of virtue. And there's little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. We have to learn how to be in it for the long haul and resist this addiction to dopamine hits every stinking second and then apply that to spirituality. Spirituality in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion, and he means that in the good sense of the term, religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site. It's a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. Yeah, that's right. For some, it's a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Come on, if this ain't church in our day. I mean, the way I would evaluate a leader ministering in our work would be like, who's your people? Are you a part of them? Do you pray, prophesy, break bread with them? Confess sin? Can they endorse you? Are, they, are you sent? I didn't used to think that way, but now I do. And here it's like, well, we just show up for the cool thing. We choose our churches based on what they offer us. So, seriously, isn't it a mall? Can you imagine your children doing that? Mom's cooking's been a little bit under par. Dad's jokes. I'm gonna go attend the Volk family. Probably not the best analogy because Scott, Scott would be like, come on! He would welcome anyone, so just maybe another family, okay. But churches, it's like, well, what do you got for my kids? Well, how about we help you train your children to sit? Well, that's not convenient. I mean, I've been working all week with these kids, and this is, I grant you this. Uh, we've been, I've been with these kids all week. I want to hear a sermon. Okay, I, I, I get that. that that's good. We'll, but we'll help you. But still, the, the goal is to develop people, not to give you an experience. It's not about you. It's about him, and it's about the rest, right? That's why Paul taught them to share their gifts when they got together. It's like, we need one another. God's not going to give it all to one dude. For some, it's a weekly jaunt to church. For others, occasional visits to special services. Some, with a bent for religious entertainment and sacred diversion, plan their lives around spe uh, special events like retreats, rallies, and conferences. We go to see a new personality, to hear a new truth, to get a new experience, and so somehow expand our otherwise humdrum lives. We'll try anything until something else comes along. Then he quotes Nietzsche, who has the, the quote, 
uh, that he named his book after anyway. So this is interesting coming from, again, a critic of Christianity, but this is what he says about life. He says, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. There, thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. We were so thrilled when our daughter was born in Milwaukee. Was it 1992? Is that a thumbs up or a three? I can't see. Somewhere in there. But we're, and I could picture that moment. I could picture that baby, because she was late. My little wife, this long baby. Nine pounds, 10 ounces. She was like a toddler. She came out 22 inches. <laughs> She's all formed. Ah, absolutely gorgeous. Has the exact same face to this day. She's almost, she's 29 or almost. But we're so proud of the woman she became. That was 29 years ago. It takes time to develop humans. We, 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 we don't, we're not looking for this spiritually. We want to know him as he is. And that requires a radical commitment to the process. And it's in that process we learn communion with God. We, we, we enter his presence day after day looking for a few more glimpses that accumulate in our hearts like diamonds. And that treasure grows day after day, half day after half day after half day after half day, whatever it is, every moment, more glimpses and spending time with the saints, catching more glimpses. Okay, I went from communion with God to the saints. So we're, the radical commitment means church as family. The second commandment is second, but it's still number two. And it's related to the first. If we have the second one wrong, God says, interrupt your prayer life with the first and go make it right. So they're interlocked. Plus, we can't develop without other people. How are you going to know how holy you are from your prayer time? <laughs> Seriously. It says in Proverbs, the one who isolates himself seeks his own desire. You spend all your time alone. It's like, well, what good is that to in other people? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Come on, we need to harvest some of that. I need to, I, I need to, I need to benefit from you. This fruit you're bearing, just being around you makes me a better man. Come on now. We need one another. The Jesus movement's going to have to find true spiritual community in all of its inconveniences. <clears throat> Dr. Mike Brown tells the story of when he was praying in his room. Many years ago, he was praying. He was spending time with the Lord in one of the rooms of his house, and his wife was outside, didn't know where he was, and she calls him, Mike. And um, he says to her from the room out to the outside where she is, he says, um, I'm praying. I'm in here praying. She didn't hear him. She said, Mike. He said, I'm in here praying. She responds back, a lot of good it's doing.
the radical commitment to the process is going to mean deep communion with God day to day through all the distractions and the boredom. Joining with the community of faith who can affirm us, encourage us, exhort us every day, correct us gently, guardedly when needed, in love, but still necessarily because all of this is a part of the development that God designed. He never designed the, the quick fix, the, the, the need for a constant high. They've been going through the phone. Hey, oh, you know, see, see the Siberian husky? Whoa, whoa, what a cute cat. Oh, that belly flop. Oh, blah, 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 blah. It's like, that's not the way Jesus works. I even smiled at that. You, all, you know, every one of, almost every one of us has done that. And I still remember some of the Siberian Husky videos. It's just random looking for entertainment. Still, though, you got to admit a dog going, oh, I love you. That's, that is pretty awesome. But you know, it's, it doesn't develop the character. Part of the radical commitment to process is to learn how to go through difficult times and to translate them into character. When it feels raw and you want to run away, that's why the psalmist said, I wish I had wings like a dove. I fly away and find rest out of this chaos. <clears throat> but he had to see it through. You know, Jesus was in the desert being led by the Spirit but tempted by the devil. And it was in the desert, he said, you shall worship the Lord your God. That's where you worship. All worship anywhere is awesome, but if you can worship in the desert, baby, you can worship. Build an altar. Build an altar in the trial. Build an altar in the pressure, the difficulty, and say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I need a deposit, by the way, because I'm not feeling spiritual. Gladstone said to do this, and I don't feel like it. Give me something. Impart to me some kind of grace, some kind of courage, some kind of stamina and understanding, and please don't let me waste this trial by remaining bitter or becoming anxious but rather do something sweet on the inside through this difficulty and make me more like Jesus. That's all a part of the radical commitment to the process. We have to have it if we're going to be the Jesus people. This doesn't come from an inspirational meeting. It comes through the grit and relating to God through it all. Now when that new wineskin develops and God pours out some new wine, now then, uh, now then, then and then we will have a revival that will remain because it'll have a wineskin that it won't destroy. That's another thing we can't fake, by the way. Real people, real, real family, that's the only thing that holds the wine. It's the only thing. That's the fresh wineskin. Everything else, you'll enjoy it for a while, but it'll destroy the wineskin and spill out. It'll fade. Something will happen. Jesus is king. He's worthy of these people. I'm going to make just a few comments on our text then, okay? How about that? Matthew 4. I, yeah, okay. Verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. Come on now. This is Matthew's version of the beginning of the Jesus movement. That's why we're here. 
Leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Jesus read that text. He knew it was a pointer for his geographical transition. <clears throat> the Galilee, that area was hurt first and, and worse by the Assyrians. The northern kingdom was destroyed. It was populated by what the, the Jews would consider a mixed race. So it was for, for that and for other reasons associated with the Gentiles, there's also a note of promise. In any case, all that troubled time saw Jesus coming into his home region where he would headquarter for his ministry. He knew Isaiah was speaking to him, and he enters into the Galilee to begin a ministry. The Jesus movement begins. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the summary of his gospel. He preached the kingdom, we preached the king. Come on. The only response to the majesty of Jesus is repentance. Put another way, surrender, okay? Let me just give you just a couple more points about the characteristics of the Jesus people. They are not committed to Jesus. They are surrendered to Jesus. Commitment is measured. Surrender is an utter yielding. Surrender is covenant. When we believe, we do not accept Jesus into our hearts. We pledge our allegiance to the king. And we mark it by being dipped in water because we're saying, I swear to God forever. This is my oath. We are married. I am yours and you are mine. I have no clue how we could ever see a Jesus movement sparked without beginning with the heart and soul and crowning achievement of the gospel. Jesus is king. He died for our sins. God raised him from the dead and he ascended to his throne. That's the message. The whole message. Look, let me rephrase it, okay? The heart and soul is the death and resurrection. But the crowning achievement is the ascension. Jesus is on the throne. You don't treat a king by saying, okay, I'll let me do you a favor. Come on in my life. Though he does like to be welcomed. Don't get me wrong. He's a gentle shepherd. He's kind. He is a gentleman many often and all of that I understand. But none of that changes that he's a king. He's like, I give you the option. I'm not going to force anything on you if you want to come after me. You have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is not the kingdom for measured commitments in and out as you see fit. This is the kingdom of surrender. We make covenant with him. That's what it meant when we were baptized. So the whole thing begins with a revelation of Jesus as king and our fundamental authentic worship, which is, I surrender to you. I give it all to you. I am yours. I trust you. Even when that, that ego on the inside is, is fighting. We, just like Mikael prayed for me before the meeting, uh, Lord, let it be like Lydia where you're opening up their hearts. Well, I pray that for all of us. Lord, open up our hearts to surrender. 
we need your help. And we ain't afraid to admit it. Verse 18, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, so we're getting a little momentum here. Here's that movement. He saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So it begins with surrender, but here's now the follow me command, which is that long obedience in the same direction. This is the part, the follow me means, okay, I signed on for absolute obedience. Your written commands are my commands, and what your spirit tells me to do, I do. I am following you, right? This is pretty basic, but we have to put it out there, and I'm going I'm to massage this just a little bit. To follow Jesus means to be in a, a relationship of obedience, sheer obedience. Come on now, just... Just give me a few more minutes and someone say amen to that obedience. Yes! Yes! I knew I'd have you on sheer obedience. But it's nuanced too. Follow me. Means there's a relationship there. Those of you with close friendships, those of you with spouses, sometimes it's just one little corner of the mouth moved a certain way and you know something's going on. It's personal. One of my kids used to have a tell. I'm not going to say who and I'm not going to say what. But she had a tell on her... F okay, what's well, not Evan. Now you only got... You only got... Some percentage. 25% chance. She had a tell and it's like, okay, I know we got to go deeper. Because it's just something she did with her face. Because you know someone well enough, you know the, like, the nuances of, of the way they're, they're going, the way their body language is. Follow me means sheer obedience, but it also means a depth of communion where we can feel him blush. And we blush with him. Everybody else is like, well, we got grace, we don't have to. Yeah, you know, I don't live under the law, but I just felt the Lord cower from that conversation. I want to be in sync with him. Follow me. And that's how you will catch other people. The story of the storm on the sea, the boat with Jesus asleep is, is a great example of this. What an extraordinary story. It says there was a great storm on the sea, right? Literally, it said there was a great earthquake in the sea. <laughs> it says the waves were crashing on top of the boat. But Jesus himself was asleep. It's like, what does that look like? The boat's, you know, getting rocked by this sea earthquake. The waves are splashing down. I mean, I'm probably, I'm sure I'm exaggerating, but I'm seeing Jesus getting tossed up into the air like a rag doll, then flopping down like... <laughs> and so the disciples, of course, are filled with fear they said, Lord, save us. That's Matthew's version. Mark tells us, or he adds, perhaps, don't you care? We're perishing. He's sleeping. Guys, come on, Jesus. Well, let me ask you something. Is Jesus with them? Lord, we just want your presence. Yeah? What if he's asleep on the boat that's getting rocked? Is that enough presence for you, or... Maybe it's not just presence you want. 
Maybe it's you want manipulated presence. Lord, just one moment in your presence. How about his presence on the boat? They're about to get killed, they think, and Jesus is like, sleeping. Sometimes we're in a raging storm. We don't, storm, we don't think we're going to make it. We're crying out to God, where are you? And he's saying, I'm at rest. If you get desperate enough and you want me to rebuke this storm, I will. But if you don't, I'm going to sleep all the way through it, and we're going to make it to the other side. What I want is for you to be in harmony with me, not the storm. <laughs> to me, that's follow me. What's your presence doing? Is it cookie cutter? We got to feel it the same every time. I mean, when our lives are getting rocked and we sense, sense his presence and he's sleeping. Now, God never sleeps or slumber. Jesus as a human did. Let's call it rest. God's at rest. Do we want the resting God when we're not resting? We want him to stop the source of our chaos because we don't want it to stop inside our chest cavity. We want it to stop out there because we're more dependent on our circumstances than we are him. Follow me. I, look, look, I'm with the disciples on this one. I'm hanging on to one of them. I'm not, I'm not speaking down to anybody. It's easy to preach this. But in it, man, I, we used to go sailing. My family owed a sailboat, I'm telling you. One time we went out of government cut, Miami, Florida. We were going to sail to Bermuda. Well, that, we got turned around fast. Sail to Bermuda. I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs> I mean, my dad, my mom, you know, my dad's a good sailor and all that. But it wasn't even a storm. And those waves coming out of that cut out to the sea from the bay, boom. Our boat would go up, boom, and hit, man, hit. Christy and I were in the front, you know, kind of riding it like this, having fun. And after a little bit, it's like, okay. We went down into the whatever, the hole and back into the stern. Is that the stern? My other sister had orange soda before we left. Sorry. My mom's like, Bobby, hold on to her. I'll stop there. Bless Terry's heart, little gal. It was absolutely devastating. I was scared. I was not a Christian. I was saying prayers, some of them pagan. But I was praying. I was saying prayers. I shouldn't have been praying, but I didn't know what else to do. I, I said things. I, anyway, and I, I, just, I was that. I mean, the, the, you can't control the sea. And it's like, do we, do, we, do, do we value his mood enough to say what you're doing is where I want to be? I, want, I, I don't necessarily want you to create phenomena or stop the chaos phenomena. I want to know you during this storm, and I want your vibe to be in me rather than the storm vibe. Isn't it interesting that their prayer life, because they called on Jesus, they prayed out of their harmony with the storm. And their prayer became an accusation. You don't care. No, it's not that I don't care. It's that I know my father well enough to know in this situation, we're going to make it all the way through. I'm following him. If you follow me, you'll have the, you'll have the crystal sea on the inside, despite what's happening on the outside. 
Man, I, I tend to feel my outward circumstances, especially when they get extreme, I tend to feel them more immediately than I feel the resting God in my boat. But Jesus says, follow me, and that's how we're going to change the world. You've got to catch the nuances. You know, the kingdom is a way of life. We like the encounters, but we don't want to learn his ways. But if we're going to have a Jesus movement, well, we're going to have to follow him and learn his ways. Come on now. Presence. And finally... And we close with this passage in verse 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And so again, the healing ministry, the exorcism ministry of Jesus, all flowing out of the rule of God. Wherever God rules, there is shalom. He calls us to surrender. He calls us to follow and learn his ways, to harmonize with him deeply. But the transaction is, is that he puts his shalom, his absolute blessing, his abundance, his healing upon our lives. Because wherever God rules, there is shalom. There's total well-being, spirit, soul, body, relationships. I don't mean the prosperity gospel. I mean the witness of the rule of God bringing healing and deliverance and well-being to his people. Oaks of righteousness. Those who used to be broken by abuse and oppression and disease and racked by sin and guilt and shame and rejection and drug use and mental illness. Isaiah 61, where Jesus brings the gospel and God comes by, our, by, by faith in his grace and he rules, he restores. And I'm believing him to bring restoration tonight. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.